The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Very enjoyable to be with you. How can I say that? I don't know if it would be enjoyable. But it has been enjoyable in the past, and any psychologist will tell you the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior in similar circumstances. You want to know how somebody's going to act? How have they acted before? You want to know how they're going to take if you correct them or if you confront them? Or if you point out one of their flaws, how have they reacted before? That'll tell you. This is Look Back Friday. So, how have my calls gone before? Look Back Friday is one of those things that um, we decided to implement uh, way back. Andrew, how many years has it been now on Look Back Friday? Seven? Something like that? I almost nine we've been doing look back fridays for nine years see this is exactly what my cousin said he said one time ray anytime you have to gauge how far back something was or how long you've been doing something the first number that you come to double it is the actual number so i said seven because my first inkling was oh it's been about four so i'll jump it to seven and Andrew has just informed me it's been nine. Whew. What we do with these look-back calls is uh, eh, basically extrapolate from something someone said, bring on uh, another comment or two, clarify something, go in a different direction for various reasons. Uh, typically, when somebody calls, there is a, a broader question involved, broader question about about life for example they might call and say that my five-year-old has been punished for this 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 and this and he's not changing well the broader question is how long does it take for people to change do kids change faster than grown-ups why does it seem like he's not changing what are you doing that you think is consistent there, there's so many ways to go with that and you have to pick one or two, not you, me, I do the show, one or two that I sense is most relevant to the caller. It may not be. They might walk away thinking, well, that was a waste of my call time. And I want to say, but but, but you didn't pay for it. Well, it's still a waste. I hate when my relatives call with that attitude. So we'll get to those calls shortly. I had a woman, and this has been one of the more tragic things that I deal with as a psychologist. Parents who come to me after the death of a child, particularly 
a younger child. Eight, ten, five, sixteen. I've had many of those. Had a mom come to me. Her daughter was nine. And she passed away from leukemia. This was many, many years ago. And uh, my thought would be that if that little girl contracted leukemia, you don't contract leukemia. If this little girl was afflicted by leukemia now, much higher chance she would survive. But this was, this was back. This was back in the 80s. Yes, I was doing therapy when I was in middle school. Don't do the math. And one of the things mom pointed out to me as, as we had several sessions was a surprise reaction that she had toward others. More particularly toward others who complain. Even more particularly toward others who complain about things that she wished she could complain about. Dr. Ray, what are you talking about? After her little girl died, quite understandably, Mom was raw emotionally for oh, at, at least a better part of a year. Obviously, you never get totally over a child's death, but you, you move on. Most people move on with life. They have to. She said that it was very hard, very hard for her to not only take part, but to listen to somebody complaining. Most of the time when people complain, it is about what could be called minor stuff. A frustrating day at work. An unexpected car repair, a snotty remark from a relative, but this is the one that really hit her the hardest, when they complained about their parenting frustrations. And she said, all I could think about is I wish I had that parenting frustration. Now, <clears throat> it kind of surprised me at least according to her self-report, how few people actually thought about, I'm complaining about my parenting frustrations to a woman who lost her daughter. Shut it up. And she said that it was very hard for her to do. She, she pulled out of those conversations. She, she retreated. She couldn't handle it. She would think, I, I, wish, I wish I had that frustration. I wish my kids were doing that. I wish I could be tired. I don't have my daughter anymore. And she had two children. She didn't have five, six, seven. She had two. A girl and a boy. And just as an aside, the boy was a sweetheart. He was, I think, 16, 14, somewhere in his teens when his little sister died. And he went on to a very serious illness. So, I guess the lesson is this. 
be very careful who you complain to. You may have no idea of what has affected them in their lives and how your complaining lands on their ears, how hard it can hit. I'm Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. The devil will always do his best to tempt you into sin until you get to that place where you love sin. That's what he wants. He wants you down there with him. And not because he loves you, he hates you. When you do what the enemy tempts you to do, he does it out of pure hatred. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Right now, as you know, America, Catholic Church, really the Western world, is being shaken. Well, let me read this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 25. We'll go to 29. The writer to the Hebrews says, His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven. And that phrase, once more, points to the removal of shaken created things so that what is unshaken may remain. We realize that nothing is fixed. Everything seems to be in flux. And that's the, why God's people need to be immersed in Scripture. Because there we come across the unchangeable and the unshakable God. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta for Eastern on EWTN Radio. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. That's a Hammond B3. They don't make that sound with the Hammonds anymore. It's a tube organ. And there are less and less guys. Dr. Ray, you're gender assuming. Well, all of the people that I've ever had to repair my Hammond have been guys. All right. Let's go to our first look-back call. Catherine, calling from Georgia, is running up against something that uh, is very, very common. As our Lord said, they they hated me. They are going to hate you. They persecute me. They're going to persecute you. The question has to become, though, and this is the legit question, and I think this is why I pulled this for Look Back Friday. Why? Are they reacting this way to something that should make Catherine a better person? My question is, I still go on my family vacations, but it's challenging because I was a different person um, before my conversion. They probably liked you better then. Honestly, I think that often that they did. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I think that often that they did, that they I was more fun then, and I wasn't, you know, recollected or, or prayerful you or anything like that. You weren't that, so judgmental. That, yeah. That's how I feel. Like, everything I do, they feel judged about. And I am just living my life. Like, I actively try not to judge them. And I, I don't think I do, I, but I don't know, because they say that they feel judged by me. And so and you don't yeah, say a word, definitely. right? No, I, I actually do. I just want to be, oh, I'm giving too many details, but I, um, I try not to say anything, but pro I probably do with my, like, eyes, maybe. I don't know. So. Well, don't ever roll your eye. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. That's, that's bad. All right, let's get at this. First of all, if you're toying with just avoiding them, I wouldn't. This isn't enough reason to okay. avoid them. As a matter of fact, you need some snappy comebacks, and I'm just the guy to give them to you. Okay? For example, okay. next time anybody alludes to what a wild child you were in college, you say, you are absolutely right. I was. I'm sure glad I'm not like that anymore. I don't know how much longer I could live if I was like that. Or, or, I was. I really was. But I'm so much more at peace now than I've ever been. So in other words, you admit it. Here's you got you had a two-part comeback. You admit it. And then you make a one or two-sentence comment on how much happier, more at peace you are now. Now, you be the shrink. Why do you think that they are so quick or so willing to say, we know what you were, Catherine? Why do you think they do that? They're probably uncomfortable. You're not better than us, Catherine. Yeah. Yeah, that's really where it's coming from. So we have to make sure that... Uh, as you attempt to live morally according to your faith, which they don't totally agree with, that you know, you know you weren't always so goody-goody. Understand this, Catherine? So, and I'm not saying you put them down because of it. I, I think it'll help you to understand them. I think they are feeling like <sighs> she thinks we're inferior to her. And you don't. You you mm -hmm. don't. You don't say things. Okay, so we're left with one final question. I'm hesitant to do this because I want to use this as a look-back call. You say you don't judge them, right? I don't consciously do so. Okay, so let's just... I'm going to just say you don't. No more, okay. rolling, no more rolling the eyes. That's rough. So, yeah, I don't do that. Good. Don't go... <sighs> Ew! Don't, I wouldn't do that either. No. Okay. So given, given that, if you don't say anything, why do they still accuse you of being judgmental? Now, you be the psychologist again. I got the answer to this, but I want to see if you do. Because they're judging themselves? Maybe. Well, I think I, that could be, yeah, that could be true. Yeah, you, the old little flicker that they know you're right and they're not living up to that. That's possible. I think. The higher, not higher, the more likely explanation. Catherine, you don't have to say it, but we know how you think. 
right? Mm. That's what it is. You say, I just try to live my life, and you do. And maybe maybe if they're going to watch some movie that, that you don't want to watch, so you go read a book. They interpret that as, <laughs> okay, she's too pure to come and watch this with us. Oh, funny. So true. Yeah. Oh, okay, I hit on one, didn't I? That was one of the examples. I knew it. <laughs> or if they're into yeah. a Ouija board and you don't want to get within 50 feet of that thing, which you're smart, um, they, they look at you like, oh, boy, here we go. Another one of her faith-guided decisions. You be who you, be who you are, dear. And, and thank you. And and don't don't write him off because of that, all right. I mean, I had a I had a a niece come up to me. She's about thirty now. This is back when she was twenty one or twenty two. We were at a wedding, and she said, "You and Aunt Randy are the most judgmental people I know." And I'm thinking to myself, I've never said a word to her ever <laughs> about her conduct ever. Where's she coming from with this? Well, obviously, it's because we live differently than than she lived. Interesting thing about being judgmental. I'm convinced that that is now probably more the accusation. We know how you think rather than you've said anything. We now live in a culture that says, if you do it differently than me, I, I, I let me qualify that. If you do it differently than me in a moral direction, you're commenting on me. I remember way, way back, my wife came to me with our first son and said, Ray, let's, uh, let's not emphasize Santa Claus. Let's say that's a beautiful story based on St. Nick, but let's focus on Christ. And she thought I was going to say, oh, come on! And I didn't. And I didn't because... She's proven herself right constantly in our marriage. And even when she hasn't proven herself right, I, she's right. So so I got, I got in an interview. And the, the interview was, they focused immediately on that. The, and <laughs> the second part of the article was all these people critiquing us for doing this. So they're saying we're doing it wrong. So they're saying that somehow we're lying to our... I I didn't say any of that. I just said, we chose not to do that for this reason. They immediately took it personal. And that's what her friends are doing, or family are doing. They're taking it personal. You can't act that way, Catherine, because we know what you're really saying. That's sadly so very common now all that said when somebody accuses you of not being nice or pleasant or easy to be around because of your faith your religion you're taking it too serious you do have to ask yourself a scrutinizing question let me give you a backdrop when I was in the evangelical world one of the recurrent questions in our Bible study was, why do people get so upset with us over our moral standards? And the most common answer was, well, they're, they're threatened. 
somewhere down deep in them, they know that uh, that there's a flicker of that morality left, and it's threatening to them. It's a light shining upon their life. That answer never sat well with me. I remember thinking, perhaps some people might react because of that. But the question I have to ask myself is, is my conduct in some way more difficult to deal with? Am I, am I more holier than thou? Am I more, I'm saved, you're not? Am I more, I've got Jesus, you don't? Whatever it might be about me that they could legitimately say, that's how he comes across. So the question I had to ask myself, am I holy or am I a jerk? That's the question. And I think any of us who is accused of being a less likable person, a less relatable person, we have to ask that question. Is there any legitimacy to what they're saying? Now, if in all, if, uh, honest self-scrutiny, you say, I, I don't think so. Like, like Catherine said, I, I don't think so. I did roll my eyes, and I don't do it anymore. But Catherine, you are learning a lesson about doing something. It takes a long time for people to say she doesn't do it anymore. You did it back in the beginning, and so now you got that reputation. And it takes a long time for that first impression reputation to go away, even if you don't do it anymore. And that happens in marriages all the time. I know I used to do that, but I don't do it anymore. Yes, but... So, make sure they're not saying this because it is something you're doing that is putting them off, putting them down, making them feel like, you I'm definitely uh, more holy with it than you are. Now, that may be true. You may be following more faithfully the church than they are. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying, look at yourself first. Make sure that you're not doing stuff like that. And then, once you've come to a satisfactory answer, and it's hard to do because we're subjective, but do the best you can or ask somebody else that you trust. Am I doing that? Do I do that? You know, poor Catherine, she would have heard, yeah, you roll your eyes. So, given that, once you're convinced, okay, I'm I'm not I'm not doing things to be jerky, then it is their reaction. And you may not be able to do anything about that. But here's one way to get around it. And this is a much broader topic for a future date. Focus all conversations upon them. What are their interests? What are they doing? What have they done? Ask all about them. It's very hard for people to think you're judgmental when you are truly interested in them and their lives. If you have an aunt who has a kid in college, you ask all about her kid in college. What's he majoring in? What's he doing? Does he come home for the holidays? Does he work? You could ask a million questions and she would just bubble forth because she wants to talk about that kid. And 
as a byproduct. Her sense that you are being judgmental or you think you're superior, it's hard for people to come to that conclusion if your focus is on them and their lives and not their shortcomings and not their and not their secular way of doing things. I'm Dr. Ray. When we come back, we're going to deal with something that I... There are things in psychology that, that really bug me. And some of it's the language. And I will... I, in the words of Ricky Ricardo, I'll, I'll explain after the break. The Catholic Catechism tells us that an evil end can corrupt an objectively good act. Our Lord pointed this out when he spoke of Pharisees praying and fasting, both objectively good acts, in order to be seen by men, a morally corrupt end which therefore corrupts all the actions. On the other hand, a good intention cannot justify an objectively evil action. One cannot turn fornication, a morally evil action in and of itself, by participating in it, even to save a life. Fornication is always wrong because it involves a disorder of the will, a moral evil. It is an error, the Catholic Catechism tells us, therefore to judge an act merely by considering the intention that inspired it or the circumstances such as social pressure or emergency. The end never justifies the means. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The disclosure of a name in the ancient world belonged to the order of trust and intimacy. And so when God revealed his name to Moses, it was an extraordinary outreach to us, saying uh, that we were called to an intimate, trusting relationship with him. And so we should always reverence this name as a great gift. We should obviously never use God's name to curse or to blaspheme or to berate others. God's name is meant to bring blessing. And likewise, the vain use, vain means empty. Uh, so some of these expressions like, oh my God, or you know, and so on, uh, need to be avoided as well. Vain means empty, and those are using God's name as an empty kind of expression of exasperation. And then finally, never ever to use God's name to swear an oath falsely. God is the God of truth. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Very nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In on this Look Back Friday. Just been informed by Andrew Kruchek, my producer man. This is closing in on 10 years of doing Look Back Fridays. I've, I've got a stack here. I keep all the old Look Back Friday uh, stuff, and there are pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of previous Look Back calls going way back. Okay, so let's see what we're looking at. Oh, yeah. I want to introduce this a bit. Mental health, mental illness, counseling lingo, 
spreads into the popular expression. Words that originated either in the universities or in counseling make their way into the lingo of our culture. And there are several of them that are extreme. They're extreme words. But in their extremity, they become almost... That's the word. Well, they're acceptable, of course, but but they lose a lot of the bite because they're used so much and they're stretched. They're stretched far beyond their original meaning to incorporate more and more people, more and more circumstances. Now, if I'm not being clear about that, let's go to Michael from Illinois and uh, you'll see what I mean. I have been married to my wife for 10 years. This is her adult daughter. So she's not my daughter. Uh, she's my stepdaughter. And apparently there's been a lot of things going on throughout their life. It just came to a head. And at Christmas, she said to my wife, I do not want to talk to you or see you anymore. Uh, you are toxic and you're not going to see your grandkids. Apparently what happened is, uh, you know, the, the daughter is going through her second divorce. Uh, so it's probably very cantankerous as far as what's going on. Now, we had a, uh, so we hadn't seen her or the grandkids since Christmas. Uh, when they have a birthday, she has an adult son who gets invited to the party. So, by, you know, we buy presents, give them to the son. He brings them over, and he makes sure that they open them. There are two kids that are like uh, nine and six. He makes sure that they know who they're from, uh, but we never hear from them either. And about a month, she won't ago, let him, Michael. A, she, Michael, she won't let him. Correct, you're right. You know, I I have my own opinions because I've been through this, but I wanted to hear what you had to say. You know, the big issue is, you know, should we keep on sending gifts? Should we keep on doing what we're doing, or should we just stop? That's my question. I think it's beautiful what you're doing, sending the, sending the grandkids gifts. I think that's very sweet because one of these days those grandkids are going to get older and they'll say, why why did my mom not, not let us see Grandma and Grandpa? Okay, so that's the first thing. My guess would be also that uh, she's probably, she's probably uh, telling them that you're not their real grandpa, something along those lines anyway. Um, well, she was she was referring to me to them as their grandfather. So who know how that has come out? Mm. And I do know what's going on. You know, my my wife isn't real maternal. You know, she had to spend her whole life working and taking care of her two children. Uh, so she's not one who does a lot of babysitting. Actually, she does none. If you have reached out to her and said we're 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 open, we're we're willing, you've done your duty. I would. If it were me, I would send the kids gifts through the sun, and uh, that's it. I wouldn't force myself on her. That's me. I've said that, and that's what we're going to do, but I just wanted to check that with you. I mean, I know we're not getting any response. I mean, they had, one of the kids had a dance recital about a month ago. We were not invited, but on the day of, the child said to the mother, why is the grandma going to be there so Grandma sent us an email 
telling us that there's a, a recital tonight. If you want to go, you could buy tickets. Obviously, we did. We bought tickets. We went. We didn't sit anywhere near them. She had a party at her house afterwards. She's not going to invite you. Up to us by her. She's not going to invite you. We didn't, but one of the kids went up to us and said, you're invited to the party. So, you know, my mom, my grandma, I would, my wife I said, would say, Michael, I'm going to let you go because I got to, I got to, up against time, I got a lot of calls. I understand. But I would say, well, your mom needs to ask us. Thank you so much for asking us, but this is going to be up to your mom. If, if she would like us to be there, then please have her ask us. That's what I would say. And Michael, I'll bet she didn't invite you, did she? Uh, yes, she did. Whoa! We texted her. She's, but hold on. We went to the house. She didn't say one word to us all night. My wife went up to her as we were leaving yeah. and said, "Thank you so much for inviting us." She said, "I didn't." She wow. named the kid. The kid all did, right. and that was the end of it. All right. Well, you're a class act. You and your wife. She's acting. Well, I don't want to say what she's acting. It's hard. Like. You know that. It's yeah. hard. Well, you know what, Michael? Michael, I'm going to tell you. Let it stop being so hard. If she's going to act that way, you and your wife need to be at peace. And you need to quit making your moods and your emotions yanked around by her lack of charity and her mean behavior. That's what i got to say. Thanks, Michael. I've got so much to say, which is going to involve me probably talking after the break, which is going to mean I can't get that last call in that Andrew and I wanted to get in. So we'll go to another one there, Andrew, that is a little shorter. I hate the word toxic. It's an ugly word. Poisonous. Noxious. It really, really, it's like, look at us and saying you're evil. It's a word that has become so commonplace in our culture. And I have some observations to make about toxic. I know people are thinking, Dr. Ray, wait a minute. You don't know my mother-in-law. She is toxic. Well, is she difficult? Is she nasty? Is she unpleasant? Is she mean-spirited? Is she emotionally unpredictable? Yeah, it should be all those things. I just hate the word toxic. It sits bad on me. But the other thing about the word toxic is that all too often the people who use it are, are one of two groups. Those who have gone to therapy and complained about their parents and their upbringing and their parents' religion and their parents' political views so as they complain on and on and on and on to their therapist about this either the therapist suggests it or the therapist leads the person to think my mother is toxic toxic you know that's, that's poisonous toxic that means like causing death oh dr ray you're getting carried away now words mean something I want to talk the other reason, the other group, if you want to hear the other group, who does this. And it may surprise you. It's the other group, I think, uses that word when we come back.
Welcome to Spirit of Stewardship. Jeremy Beltsky is your host for real-life stories, encouragement, and ideas to enhance your own gifts of work, wealth, and wisdom in response to God's blessings for you. I'm Jeremy Belsky, and today's topic is Stewardship of the Environment, God's Creation of Nature. When you hear the message, Be a Wise Steward of Your Resources, do you ever consider the role you play in your community environment? It's natural to think of time, talent, and treasure when stewardship is mentioned, but our faith teaches us that all is gift from God. Thus, respect for nature and doing our part to ensure a safe and clean environment is important. Here are just three areas we can pay more attention. A lot of action has been taken in recent years by nonprofits geared towards a cleaner environment. The first area of focus is to eliminate litter. Consider how your actions to pick up after yourself are pleasing to God be proud to do your part to keep your community and neighborhood clean. Secondly, look at ways to recycle and make the most out of your purchases. Does it matter to you that so much plastic consumes our landfills? Have you given thought as to how you can make a particular purchase last longer? Third, in a country filled with abundance, what's being done to ensure our nature and environment for the next generation? This is more than eating bread crust and cleaning off your plate. The root lies in not wasting what we've been given. There's a great deal of time and effort that goes into caring for our place of residence in addition to our possessions. Keeping up what is ours or giving our used possessions to the less fortunate are a couple of ways to be prudent stewards of our blessings from God. I'm Jeremy Belsky, your host for Spirit of Stewardship. To learn how you can better share your talents and resources, contact your local parish priest. Your level of involvement in the church now positively impacts our faith in the future. Speaking two to four hundred words a minute with Gus up to eight hundred. Breezy individual. Thank you for joining me. It's Dr. Ray. Program Doctor is in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production of the Ave Maria Radio Communications and EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. Heard a lot of different places. Uh, Terrestrial Radio is one. Sirius Satellite's another. Many of the apps and live streaming from anywhere you 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 got a smartphone you can pull down any app that you like from your local catholic affiliate or network and listen up real easy to do i remember when i found out i could do that instead of trying to find catholic stations as i traveled i just put the app on the wtn app or the ave maria app or in your case whatever app is app and uh, i could just listen all the way pretty neat all right, I had the call from Michael, whose stepdaughter calls her mom toxic. And she has, because, you know, someone's toxic. You got to avoid them, right? Something's poisonous. You got to avoid them. And I made the observation how I've really come to hate that word because it is stretched far beyond its bounds. It now is an umbrella term for anybody that's obnoxious, unpleasant, difficult. Now, I can hear people thinking, <laughs> wait a minute, Ray, there are people who are toxic. That you, you don't know my brother. You don't know my father-in-law. They are toxic. They're dangerous. They're, they're evil. They're just somebody to totally avoid. I am not saying that there are unbelievably difficult human beings out there. 
And there are people you may have to stay away from for your safety and serious well-being as well as your children's. I, I got that. I'm a shrink. I, I know that. I'm not sitting here going, you got to be around everybody no matter what. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying the word toxic is being stretched, really stretched. Now, if I were to take Michael's situation, obviously he didn't give me any details, but it sounded like there wasn't anything particularly dangerous or anything like that in the view, the relationship of the mother. I mean, after all, they were allowed to come to her house. So I said there were two groups. One of them was those that group that goes to therapists. And the word toxic is either given to them directly or it's uh, concluded you're saying my mother's toxic. Had a dear friend of ours at the church, very faithful religious lady. Good, good lady, good lady. That We've known her a long time. Harm, harmless in a lot of ways. Well, her daughter was told by a therapist that your mother is a trigger. And that, in fact, you need to avoid her. So I guess that's a, a variant of toxic, is it not? Interestingly enough, I, I don't quite understand why the therapist might not approach this and say, okay, let's, let's help you deal with your mother so she doesn't get to you as much, rather than, no, your mother gets to you, avoid her. And it used to be, let's try to deal with life. Now we're, well, if that person is unpleasant, eh, shun them. Now, who's the other group? It's going to kind of surprise you. Most people would think that those people, and particularly parents, who are called toxic are ugly, dangerous, nasty, mean, spirited, straight razor toting woman, according to the song Poke Salad Annie. And Tom Price, if you're listening, I know you know that. So you figure, well, you know, the toxic label is uh, put on people who somewhat deserve it. There's another group that is very free with that label. And I have found, through my own therapeutic experience, as a therapist, not on, not on the couch, and as just talking with lots and lots of people, the folks who are running their lives poorly bad decisions i remember that michael said she's been through now two divorces or she's not had necessarily a stable marriage history so these people are running their lives poorly making incredibly bad moves bad decisions drugs alcohol uh, relentless relationships that fall apart or unpleasant Many of them look for someone to blame. And the closest person to blame is a parent. It's the way you raised me. It's who you are. And the parents are not necessarily bad people at all. However, in the eye of the person who's running their lives poorly, they've got to point to the parents as the source of their problem. And if 
they are the source of the problem, well, it stands to reason they're toxic. Of course. If I call you toxic as my mom and dad because my life is running poorly and I don't scrutinize my own decisions and take responsibility for my choices and say, this is what I'm doing to me, I'm going to say, this is what you're doing to me. This is what you did to me. You're toxic. So I've noticed that the people more likely to use that word are people who are toxically running their lives, if you will. I'm Dr. Ray. We'll return after these messages. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. There was a big story about this Catholic college saying, oh, we are going to open our doors to anyone who identifies as a woman. So a male student coming in, but if he calls himself a woman, that's fine. This is all about diversity and equality. This is a Catholic women's college. And so, thanks be to God, there was a lot of pushback. And guess what? The school rescinded. How important it is not to give up and to remember that we can and should respectfully, always with love, express our concerns. It doesn't matter. The victory is up to God. But sometimes we do see that success in the victories, as is the case with St. Mary's College, who says now it needs to go back to its roots and get a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Catholic college for women. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. The Heart of the Interior Life, with Elizabeth Jingle. St. Ignatius of Loyola describes the challenging characteristics of spiritual desolation in the fourth rule of his 14 rules for the discernment of spirits. St. Ignatius states that finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, falls within the experience of spiritual desolation. Father Timothy Gallagher writes, The adverb totally is powerful here. Ignatius applies it to three further forms of spiritual desolation. Persons in such desolation may experience themselves as entirely slothful, tepid, and sad. When a person finds themselves totally slothful, they lack spiritual vitality. When a person is tepid, they lack spiritual zeal. And when they experience a sadness connected to their life of faith, they lack interior joy. Have you asked for the grace to identify and reject spiritual desolation in your life today? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. I better hurry, better hurry. I'm not going to get another call in. Quickie, Dave from Montana. He's uh, he's he's wondering. This kid seems pretty immature. Well, you know, 17 month old there, kid. That that's uh, that's pretty young. Obviously, obviously, even at 17 months, she reads who she can act which way with, right? Right. <laughs> not so, unusual, but yeah, no, no, it, 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 it's not. But I mean, the difference between her or my do- way she reacts with my daughter and us. I mean, she amps it up so much with my daughter. Uh, my daughter has tried, you know, ignoring her, redirecting her, um, and a lot of most of the time when she starts correcting her or she ramps herself up and she really gets going. 
I think some of it is just being willful, but some of it just seems it seems really out of the ordinary. But I don't. I knew you were going to say that, Dave. I knew it. I was waiting for you to say it. What? I was going to say, and I was going to ask you this, I was going to say, well, gee, Dave, do you think this is maybe, uh, well, a a sign of of, of some kind of uh, maybe psychological developmental issue? I knew it, and I knew because you said that. You said, yeah, I can understand. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, it's not. It's very, very, very understandable for a lot of reasons. One, even at 17 months. Okay, let me draw a parallel. My daughter has a dog. That dog won't do to us what that dog does to her. That's a dog. That dog reads who he can push on. A 17-month-old is a lot smarter than a dog. So... Even at 17 months, that little girl realizes this is, this is the dynamic between me and mom. Whatever mom is doing, and I can't know this, but whatever mom is doing, the little girl is, is pushing on. Understandable, she's 17 months, of course. For whatever the reason, one, she's not around you anywhere near as much. So she doesn't get, a, she doesn't get the greatest read on you. Two... You're a guy, and 17-months-olds are generally more intimidated by males. That's reality. Research shows that. Three, maybe your style with her is very different. Uh, My grandchildren won't try with me and my wife what they would try with their mom and dad. They won't. (laughs) Try it. We put them in a corner. That's it, flat out. But they'll push on their mom and dad relentlessly. So... That said, doesn't shock me at all. Now, what what you could do is if your daughter is willing, you could share with her what you do that makes it so the 17-month-old doesn't do that with you. Well, she, like I said, she does try things with her. So what you're, what I'm understanding you're saying is this going to be a battle royale here, and she just has to keep putting her foot down until... My her until her daughter says knows that she's not going to get away with anything. Well, my thought is, well, when you said she tries things with her, then that's that's code language for she's frustrated and she's bouncing around trying to figure out how to deal with this little seventeen month old natural little fits or defiance. She probably doesn't really have some kind of approach that the little girl is starting to realize mom means what she says. Maybe sometimes mom negotiates, Uh, she distracts, she re-reminds, she tells her don't, uh, all kinds of things. Looking for something's going to work. Aha, told you. So I have a book, it's called Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime, on my website, deals with discipline. And uh, it begins even with the very young. So you might want to think about that, Dave. Boy, I was hoping we'd get that self-promoting plug in there right before the break. You know, money changer in the temple kind of thing. Yeah, there were a couple of uh, things Dave said that were were, uh, trigger words. And by that, I I identified one. She tries things with her. That's a a paraphrase of she's tried everything, nothing works. When you got a 17-month-old 
and you think nothing works, you got to look at yourself. It is a rare 17-month-old who will not respond to consistency and firmness in certain situations. Now, some people might say, that's too young to discipline. Maybe. Depends on the kid. Parents will say to me, when? I say, I don't know. You you decide. I put my son, my oldest son, the first time when he was 15 months, I put him on the steps. And he looked at me like, what are you doing? What is this? I can't make this link. Why? Because I did that. Am I sitting over here? That's all right. I'm just training him. You can't do that, so you'll sit over here. Now, does he understand the reasoning now? Yes, of course he does. He's 36. I think he's got it. Besides, his wife will sit him on the steps. But here's the other thing he said, and this was, this was again, I've talked about this many times on the show. He said, she's willful. When you use a word like that, willful, strong-willed, what you're saying is that's beyond the norm. Because if she were normally willful, you wouldn't call her willful. Willful is a characteristic that is saying out of the norm. She's not strong-willed. She's normal-willed. If she were normal-willed, you wouldn't call her willful. You'd say she's a kid. But most 17-month-olds are willful. Why would they not be? They don't have any morals. They don't have any self-control. They don't have any maturity. They don't have any delay of gratification. Of course they're willful. They want to do what they want to do. Now, some of them are easier than others. So if you say, well, she's relatively willful compared to her brother, who at this age was not anywhere near as pushy in his resistance. Okay, well, you can say that. But it's only a comparison to one kid. You don't have a sample size of a 1,000, and you're saying, you know, of this 1,000 children I'm looking at, this one by nature is in the top 5%. You can't say that. Now, many parents do think that, by the way. They will say that. Well, you know, I've looked at all my friends and their kids, and this one this one is just tougher. But here's the problem with that when you say that. Much of the time, you're not looking at yourself. Kids are more likely to be willful with someone that they can be willful to. They may not be naturally any more willful than the average kid. But they can learn to be willful. And I say this in a lot of my books. I say willfulness is most often a learned trait than an innate one. Because most kids push. That's the nature of the kid. But if you got a kid that you say, he gives me so much more trouble than any of my relatives or friends, then you got to look at yourself. You got to say, okay, is there something I can do better? In terms of firmness and confidence, calmness, consistency, perseverance, that would make him not be so willful. Talk about that more in a future show, program. This is Dr. Ray. Uh, Walk with God. He is willful that he wants you to be with him. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.